Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Pro Basketball Talk podcast. I'm Dan Feldman. I'm glad to be here today with Chris Fedor of Cleveland.com. Chris, how are you doing? Dan, I'm doing great, bud. How are you? Good. So I wanted to have you on because uh, I think the Cavs are one of the more interesting teams of the offseason. Uh, a lot of very specific points to hammer down, but I think we have to start here. What are they doing? <laughs> um, so I think the best way to, to phrase it is they're assembling a young core of talent while not focusing as much as maybe the outsiders think they should on fit. Um, I think that's what it's about. When you're in Cleveland and you're in a situation like they are and you understand that you're not a prime destination in free agency and you have to try and build this thing through the draft and through trades, um, when opportunities present themselves, even if it's not a quote-unquote ideal fit, they're just not in a situation where they feel like they can pass on talent. And that's the case when it comes to Evan Mobley, Lowry Markkinen, it's, it's not ideal to have those two guys being core members of this team when they play similar positions, but that level of talent that also fits the timeline that they're trying to go for um, is too tough for them to pass up. So I'm all for talent acquisition when a team is early in rebuilding yep. and uh, the Cavs, whatever they might say, are still fairly early in rebuilding. Um, I think some of that's their own fault, right? You could be rebuilding for years and still be early in rebuilding it sure. if it's not going well. And, and you know, they've done some things right, no question. I think they're early in rebuilding. Uh, you say when, you know, for their timeline, what do you see as their timeline of, yeah. of what, I guess this might be a two-part question. Do you have a sense of when they think they're going to be good? And when do you think they're going to be good? Yeah, so from the very beginning, Dan, general manager Kobe Altman, who has had a working relationship with Chairman Dan Gilbert for a decade now, um, sold Dan on a four to five year plan. Um, and in year four, everybody inside the organization would admit from the top on down that this is the year that it's time to start counting wins more. Uh, this is the year oh where it's time to raise expectations a little bit more and take steps forward. That doesn't mean 10 steps forward, right? And all of a sudden they're going to be a top four team in the Eastern Conference or a top six team in the Eastern Conference. But I think they want to be more competitive than they have been the last three years, obviously. I think they want to be in the play-in conversation. And I think they feel like, based on um, how the Eastern Conference shapes up, based on the internal development that they've already seen from their young guys and what they expect going into this year, that they can be at least in that type of conversation. I mean, to me, if you're on a four-year plan and year four, I, I, 
yo, I don't, we didn't even know the plane was going to be happening when you started this plan. So if the goal is to be in the play-in conversation, which was something like 12th in the East, 10 teams are going to make the yep. postseason in the East, uh, six directly in the playoffs, four in the play-in. So if you're something around 12th, and maybe it's 12th, right? Maybe it's 11th, maybe it's 13th, depending on kind of how the standings shake out, where, whether you're close enough. But is that really going to be viewed as a success? Oh, we were in the play-in conversation. We didn't even necessarily make the play-in, but we were in the play-in conversation at the end of the year. Is that going to be viewed as a success? I mean, I don't think they're at a point where success is solely defined by a win-loss record or a place in the standings. Does that make sense? Well, kind like, of. I think, that's, I think that's part of the conversation for sure. And it has to be, especially as they're shifting into year four. But I think there are other things that can happen throughout the course of the season that they could determine as successful. Hmm. Does Darius Garland continue on his upward trajectory? Does Evan Mobley look like the third overall pick in the draft? Does Isaac Okoro make big steps in year two compared to how he looked as a rookie? The bottom line is like how far they go in the long term is a lot going to be determined by those answers. Right, um, and, Which is, and whether this thing is successful is going to be determined probably not in 2021, 2022, mm-hmm. but a couple more years down the road. That makes a lot more sense. Uh, but I know how teams operate. I know how the exactly Cavs have right. operated where, where they want more urgency. They say it's been four yep. years. What's taking so long? Right. E- even if there were some missteps along the way and like sometimes this is how long it takes. Uh, I, I think uh, we'll get more into this aspect. But I, I think the Cavs, it's hard to start rebuilding uh, yep. when you've spent years contending for a championship. You, you push your pieces into older players. You trade picks. Yep. Uh, it, it's hard. It takes time. You need the right breaks. They haven't had the right breaks they've done, and I'd say an okay job, which means it's going to take a while. And so all of a sudden, have even some of it weigh on, are you in the play-in conversation? I think that's a way to miss the mark of those more important long-term markers. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think they're they're missing that mark? Do you think they just would like, it, it's one thing to say, you and I know that they should be right. looking long-term. <clears throat> while they're living it, while they're feeling those losses, uh, and everybody in that building is competitive, are they feeling the same way? I mean, it's a fair question, and I think it's a hard one to answer, but but I think the only way that we know, because I'm not Kobe Altman, I'm not in his head, um, I'm not Assistant General Manager Mike Ganzi, I'm not in his head, and I'm not Chairman Dan Gilbert, I'm not in his head. And some of the things that they're going to say publicly are different than some of the things that they're going to say and think privately. That's just the way it is. Um, the only thing that I can say, and I think the best way that I can answer it, Dan, is by saying this. If you look at their moves that they have made during this rebuild, there are a grand total of zero that I can come up with at this point. And maybe I'm missing one. But zero that I can come up with that have sacrificed in the long term to benefit them in the short term. So uh, until they make one of those kinds of moves, the Ricky Rubio trade would, I mean, it's a, it's a small sacrifice, right? I'm not saying a, a second round pick and taking an additional set. I'm not saying it's a lot. Yeah. But that's one where I'd say, okay, direction wise, this is a clue. See, I would push back against that for a couple of reasons. Mm-hmm. 
Um, number one, the second round pick that they gave up was the worst of the second round picks that they currently have in their stable. <laughs> uh-huh. So, so that's part of it. And the other thing is they need somebody like him for the benefit of Darius Garland, Colin Sexton, and some of these other guys long-term as well. Um, we had an opportunity to talk with Ricky Rubio earlier today. And as much as they're going to give him big minutes because they need somebody like him to help them in the short term, they also need somebody like him to mentor Darius Collin and some of these young guys. And Ricky actually brought up earlier today, you know, I was around Donovan Mitchell. I was around Devin Booker. I was around uh, Anthony Edwards as a rookie last year. And I just don't think, Dan, given the way that their roster was set up, that they had enough guys that they considered positive influences around the young core of this team to help get the most of these guys in 23, 24, 25, and years beyond. So, yes, part of it was like, yeah, we have to push this thing forward and we have to get more wins and veterans help you win more games than young guys help you with. But that was also with a keen eye towards the development of the young players and how they can benefit from having a pro like Ricky around. Same thing with having a pro like Kevin Pangos around. Yeah, there's definitely benefit there. I think that's fair. I do, I do wonder how much they're thinking about that versus, uh, you know, hey, Ricky Rubio could help us as a backup point guard. He could make the difference between us making the play in or just falling short. Uh, and it's worth making if you're if you are there, if you're in the mix, it's nice to make right. the play. And I, I don't fault them for that. But I, I would say, you know, giving up a pick, like you said, good point that it's uh, not a highly valuable second rounder, but giving up a pick to yeah. make that happen. I also look at the signings more so than maybe any trade. I I mean, the the big one, of course, is Kevin Love. Right? They set their right. direction immediately right. after LeBron left giving an older player that huge contract that's yeah. obviously aged poorly. Um, and maybe they quickly realized, oh, this isn't going to work. We need to rebuild <laughs> with, with Kevin Love uh, just being dead weight. But they signaled immediately, like, their plan was not to take this massive step back initially. Yeah, I mean, I, I think they were in a really, really tough spot initially. I don't think they had a full idea of which direction they were going to go. But, but I think some people are ignoring the fact that that year, after giving Kevin that kind of contract, um, Kevin got hurt in the first preseason game, and he was shut down for the majority of the season six games into that year. And at that point, Ty Lue was essentially done, right? And, and their season was essentially over. Like the guy that they had just committed money to to be the face of this rebuild and maybe allow them to be a little bit competitive and not go into full-on tank mode was lost, and they had no chance to compete after that. I, I don't think I mean, you could argue that before. they didn't have a chance to compete from the very beginning because they had lost LeBron, but that sent a clear signal that it just, even if they had any kind of delusions of that, that there was just no chance at that yeah, point. Yeah, I... I think it was delusional. I mean, I I, yeah. I think there was a lot of talk LeBron's last year about how LeBron's carrying this team, but I don't right. think people fully understood by that point, no Kyrie Irving, uh, Kevin Love not really uh, playing up to what he had been in the past, yeah. the supporting cast so weak. The idea that, oh, we can lose LeBron, and maybe we're not a championship contender anymore, but we can still make the playoffs. I, I think that was so right. foolish. Um, and I like the track overall. The Cavs are on much better now. And by the way, Dan, 
players, I think, were a little bit delusional in terms oh, yeah. of their expectations too, especially some of the holdovers. Oh yeah, I remember like J.R. Smith, like not really understanding what direction the yeah. team was going. Like it's obvious, you're one of the top players <laughs> now. It's not going in a good direction. Like, sorry, that's just what it's going to be. It's not easy to accept it's not fun right Uh, but that's the front office's role is to make those determinations and right and i think an obvious one i think to that point too dan i I think one of the most important things when starting a rebuild for any organization is an acceptance of who you are Mm -hmm. and an admittance of who you are and as you said yeah it can be really really tough but you have to have an honest admittance of what you're capable of and what you're not capable of. Because if you start to allow those delusions to trickle in, and if it's in the case of a front office, affect the decision-making, which I don't think the Cavs have for a majority of this, um, and and maybe even trickle in when it comes to the players, you could create a toxic environment where not everybody is bought in, not everybody is rowing in the same direction, and it could blow up quick. As long as we're on this era of Cavs basketball, I'd say the other huge issue with team building beyond the Kevin Love extension mm-hmm. uh, was not trading that Nets pick when you have a team capable of winning a championship. Oh, were the Cavs going to beat the Warriors? Probably not, but they had no. a chance. And I do believe if they had been more aggressive trading that Nets pick, they could have gotten somebody who would have helped that season. And to me, there's no tomorrow, right? And I'd say right. worst case scenario is Le- LeBron looked at this and said, you're not doing everything you can to win with me. And that influenced him leaving. Maybe, uh, maybe you saw it differently. May, uh, it, I think he probably had one foot out the door regardless. And that's a yeah. reason they kept the Nets pick. Uh, but if I'm LeBron, I wouldn't have been happy about that. It would have pushed me even further. And maybe I say, you never know. What if you trade that Nets pick uh, back in LeBron's last season, get a player or players capable of helping you and you get all the right breaks and you upset the Warriors and win the championship. Are you sure LeBron's leaving? I think that was your best chance in the present. I think it's your best chance in the future. And where the Cavs are now just shows it that, oh, okay, it would have set back your rebuild a little bit, not to have that right. Nets pick, not to have a player turns in Colin Sexton. Well, how much difference is it making now? Rebuilding from that point was still going to take many years regardless. Yeah, I mean, I understand where you're coming from, but what if that pick turns into Luka Doncic instead of Colin Sexton? But the odds of that are so low. I, I think the were odds... Were they? Yeah. Were they? Well, yeah, I mean, it was Brooklyn. It was coming sure. from Brooklyn, well, but, and it took it took Brooklyn going on a crazy run at the end of the season, led by Spencer Dinwiddie, to rise up the standings and kind of change the valuation of that pick. That's fair to a degree, but the odds of Luka Doncic being Luka Doncic aren't one hundred percent, right? Even if you get the number one pick, you don't know you're getting a Luka Doncic. He's a generational talent. Right. You have a chance to win a championship with LeBron James. Yeah. Uh, I'm. If I can do it at that point, I would have been all in on championship uh, because where did it get you? I mean, you end up with Collins. Imagine they got somebody slightly better than Colin Sexton. Sure. They're still not in good shape unless you get a Luka Doncic. I understand there, there was an upside there. Uh, I'd say there's almost no move made in the NBA anymore uh, or very few where it's just no way this works out. Uh, usually the bad moves have a narrow chance of working out. And to me, this one had a narrow chance of working out um, and it didn't. And so the Cavs are kind of caught in this weird area where they didn't go all in in the present when they had LeBron and then went all in the present with Kevin Love after LeBron left. And now years later, like they've been mostly doing the right things. And I do want to dig a little bit deeper into some of those maybe right things. Um, re-signing Jared Allen, uh, five yeah. years, $100 million. 
uh, very quickly into free agency. They didn't make him get an offer sheet. As we know, free agency uh, doesn't start when free agency starts. I don't know what else was available to Jared Allen. I don't know if the Cavs had to do that. I don't know if they misread the market. Uh, but that's a lot of money to pay Jared Allen, who I think is a good, solid player. Uh, but it's a lot, a lot of money to pay him. It's going to encumber uh, Cleveland's ability to make other moves around him for the next five years. It's a big chunk of payroll eaten up. Uh, what did you think of the Jared Allen signing? I thought it was a move, Dan, that they had to make. And they kind of showed their cards um, by giving up a first-round pick in order to get him. But, but I think he's a really, really good fit with young point guard Darius Garland. I think the Cavs need a player like Jarrett anchoring the middle of their defense, which has been completely atrocious since LeBron James left. And um, the kinds of players that, that command the kind of money that Jarrett Allen received, the Cavs cannot get, like we talked about. One, they didn't have free agency money to spend, and two, even if they did have the free agency money to spend, a lot of those kinds of guys aren't choosing to come to Cleveland. We have seen that in the past. We saw that a little bit in free agency this offseason with the Cavs. They were interested in Doug McDermott. They didn't have the money to get him. They were interested in Reggie Bullock. They had the money to get him, and he chose to go to Dallas. They were interested in Alec Burks. Like those kinds of guys um, – they showed interest in, they either got more money or they chose a different kind of destination. So the only way that the Cavs can get a guy like Jared Allen is one by trading for him. And then when you have him in house, overpaying him a little bit, but um, there's a website that kind of tracks this profit X that says the kind of contract that Jared Allen got from the Cavs is about in the range that he deserves based on what he's accomplished, based on his age, based on his role. I do think it was a slight overpay. I think it had to be a slight overpay. But my sources told me that Jared Allen wanted 125. (laughs) So I guess from that standpoint, it was an underpay based on what he wanted. Um, And the Cavs, I know for a fact, were worried about the Toronto Raptors specifically, possibly pursuing somebody like Jared Allen. Um, But at the end of the day, like since they're building this core of young players, um, the way that their roster was set up at the time, they needed Jared Allen. And I don't think I could be wrong on this. I could be proven wrong on this, but I don't think that contract is going to age in a way where it's going to be untradeable once Evan Mobley is ready to command the five spot. Yeah, that's a a lot of the question. I also think uh, one of the benefits uh, of rebuilding the way the Cavs are mostly rebuilding, where you have young players on rookie-scale contracts, is you have cap space. Um, You lose a lot of that with the Jared Allen, and that's going to take up cap space in this window. Maybe Jared Allen, you know, that's the type of player you go for. I think he would have been an awesome fit with the Raptors. I can see them offering him a lot of money and it working out. I think he's an okay fit in Cleveland because of Evan Mobley, uh, who I was very high on. Uh, I had him third on my board. I thought he was the right pick for mm-hmm. Cleveland. I thought he'd been the right pick for anybody in that spot. I, I think he could be one of those special centers who holds up deep in the playoffs uh, with his ability to defend all over the court. He's going to have to get stronger, uh, better at, at defending inside, but right. uh, some offensive gifts. Like I, I, I'm so enamored, enamored by his talent, right. And but it – does block him a little bit with Jarrett Allen 
being there, but I'm not sure how ready he is anyway. I don't. Right. I look at it as a long term problem. Uh, I also think there's a slight, slight chance that that uh, Evan Mobley could become a power forward. I think uh, the way he projects his specials at center. But if you tell me like his offense really comes around and hits on everything he's flashed, maybe mm-hmm. he just has he, and he's he's mobile, right? He can get around yeah. the court. Maybe he does everything you want a, a power forward to do, and is just taller, uh, and that'd right. be fine. Uh, what, what do you think uh, of of Mobley and Allen long term? Uh, do, do you think that can work in the long run? So I have my concerns about that from an offensive standpoint, especially in the short term, because I think Evan Mobley is going to go through some struggles as a rookie, um, just the way that a lot of rookies do. I was looking at some of the numbers that Anthony Davis put up as a rookie and Chris Bosh put up as a rookie and Kevin Garnett, you know, some of the comps that were thrown around for Mobley um, when he was coming into the NBA draft. Um, So it's going to take him time because those guys didn't like go nuts in terms of production early in their careers. Um, but, but I think because you're going to have some of those struggles with Mobley early on, um, I think you're probably going to see it more on the offensive end because Jared Allen's not really the most polished offensive player and he's reliant on other guys getting him looks. And, and I think Mobley could kind of be in a similar boat early in his career at least from that standpoint um but long term i think it can work because i i think dan you bring up the point that i've been making since they drafted mobley just because a guy is seven foot doesn't mean that you put him in a box with other seven footers because not all seven footers move the same way not all seven footers play the same way some are yeah low post oriented some are yeah back to the basket some aren't comfortable with the ball in their hands evan mobley is not the typical seven footer evan mobley um when when he was growing up like his dad wanted him to be more guard oriented and had him do passing drills and i talked to evan mobley's high school coach for a feature that i did going into the draft And not only is this guy athletic enough to do backflips in the sand, but like the the high school coach had all these drills that were going on. They were speed, agility, and ball handling drills. And Evan Mobley was doing those as well, if not better, than the guards on that roster. So like he has some guard perimeter skills, even though the outside shot is a question mark, even though the handle can be a little bit loose. He passes it in a way that you don't really see from a seven-footer. He moves in a way that you don't see with a traditional seven-footer. So I think as long as he plays that kind of way and the Cavs continue to maximize those things and use him properly rather than putting him in the post and having him bang the way that they did early on in Summer League, then I think, yeah, he is different enough in the things that he does well from Jared Allen, where they can play on the floor. And and maybe you have a situation where early on, um, Jared Allen fills in the holes that Evan Mobley currently has, because he does. And early on, Evan Mobley fills in the holes that Jared Allen currently has. Um, but I still think offensively, it's going to be a problem, especially because- if they're going to start Isaac Okoro at the three, which is the, the way that they're headed currently. Because of the shooting, right? Primarily. Yeah, Not because, only, but primarily. 
Yeah, the shooting and the spacing. Yeah. I mean, that's that's been a problem for the Cavs for the last couple of years. And Allen and Mobley together, non-three-point threats, can be pretty tough. Right. Um, the way to do it is obviously you stagger those guys throughout the course of a game and make it so that it's not a detriment. And Lowry Markman could be a, a nice yep. fit to both uh, as somebody staggering who, who does provide that shooting. Uh, the catch is he came on a very expensive contract uh, and it cost uh, giving up Larry Nance Jr., who I think is a very good player and it had good trade value, higher trade value than, than Markinen. Uh, I, you know, sometimes it's what teams need, what teams want at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe the, maybe the problem was the Cavs didn't trade Larry Nance Jr. earlier. Uh, maybe maybe there's a window to do it before and, and get more return for him. Uh, but I don't know. I just, I, as much as I, I'm higher, I think, than most on Lowry Markkinen, uh, but mm-hmm. I, I don't think I would have given him this contract and I don't think I would have given, given up Larry Nance Jr. for him. Um, what, what do you think? Or, or is it just worth it for Cleveland where, hey, you say, hey, value-wise, this wasn't great, but what was Nance going to do for us? Uh, he, he was too old. He wasn't going to remain good right. when we're ready. And so get somebody on our the word I know you like to use, timeline. Right. So I think, honestly, Dan, these are the kinds of swings a team like the Cavs need to take. I think these are the kinds of swings a team that's rebuilding, that, that has to do it the way that the Cavs are doing it, has to take. And, and I think the truth is um, they would have had a higher floor with Nance. He is a better player today. He fills in a lot of gaps offensively and defensively that the Cavs have. And I think he probably helps them win a couple more games in this upcoming season. But I think their ceiling was lifted with somebody like Markman. Um, And I know the struggles that he had in Chicago, and I know the questions about him. But we're talking about a former top 10 talent, a seven-foot perimeter-oriented shooter, He's probably, if not the best shooter that they have currently on this roster, the second best behind Darius Garland. It's something that the Cavs don't have enough of. Um, And I think because of his age and because of his overall talent and his overall uniqueness, there's more that the Cavs could potentially accomplish in the future if, and this is a big if, and I recognize that, and I think the Cavs recognize that too. If Markinen hits he makes them a better team in the future than somebody like Larry Nance Jr. And to your point about Nance's value, yeah, he had a ton of value around the NBA. And there were teams that were interested. Um, But there were only certain teams that the Cavs were going to be willing to trade Nance to because they wanted to do right by him. So, like, for example, the Cavs liked Terrence Ross. And he fills their need for a wing shooter. If the Cavs would have traded Larry Nance Jr. to the Orlando Magic, he would have went kicking and screaming. And I don't think that would have helped the relationship. And I think the Cavs wanted to protect that, whether right or wrong. That's something that they decided. They decided from the very beginning, if they were going to trade Nance, they were going to work with him on finding him a destination that would fit him just as well as it would fit the Cavs. Um. I don't know if you know something about uh, Orlando specifically, but I, I don't think that's a trade the Magic would want to make at this point, right? If you, Probably you know, not. Right, they're, they're even further behind the Cavs in their rebuild. Right. Um, and, and so I, I think a lot of those situations naturally take care of themselves. 
uh, only win now teams would be interested in Nance in the first place. So the odds right. of him being, unless there's a market he doesn't like or a coach he doesn't like or whatever, something like that, the odds of him being stuck somewhere he didn't want to be, I think were fairly low. I think he's going to be an awesome fit for the Trailblazers, by the way. Uh, ability to defend bigger forwards, uh, his screen setting, he can be a, a small ball uh, five for them behind Nurkic. Like, I, I think it's a great fit there. Um, so, yeah, I, if, if their goal is to do right by him, uh, mission accomplished, at least for now, as long as Damian Lillard is still there and, and, and as long as that situation uh, doesn't blow up. Yeah, um, but I guess the bigger point, Dan, is like they knew that they needed a shooting wing and, and Nance was a vehicle to get that. And they had conversations about Nance with teams that have the quote-unquote shooting wings available. Terrence Ross being an example that I brought up. But Dylan Brooks, Kyle Anderson, Joe Ingles, um, like those were the kinds of guys that probably would have been a better, more ideal fit than Markkanen. But there were things about Markkanen that they liked better. And one of them was the fact that they do even though the contract is iffy and it's making a big bet on a guy who hasn't proven it since his second year in the NBA, um, team control with marketing was something that the Cavs actually valued. Whereas giving up Larry Nance Jr. for one year of Kyle Anderson is a really, really risky game. Like, what does that really do for you? Giving up, one, giving up Larry Nance Jr. for one year of Joe Ingles. Like, what does that really do for you? So Markkanen being 24 years old and being somebody that they could put under contract in a way that they couldn't get with some of these other guys, that, believe it or not, was actually pretty appealing to the Caps. Well, I, I agree with that compared to a Kyle Anderson or Joe Ingles or somebody like that. Yes, of course. I do wonder, uh, and I, I don't know exactly precisely, but what draft pick based off uh, offers were there for Larry Nance at what point? All late first round picks. So you think you think they were going to top out at one late first round pick for him? No, I had heard that they got an offer of two late first round picks around the trade deadline mm-hmm. last year. But again, I don't know what two picks between 20 and 32 would have done for the Cavs that would have been better than taking a gamble on a seven-foot shooter who his best basketball could be in front of him. And just a couple of years ago, as a sophomore in the NBA, looked like he was going to be the next big thing or a rising star. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, I'd say debatable, which of those offers are better, but that offer is not necessarily there if you wait till the off season. Right. Sure. It's right. Uh, I, you go far back. I could say, Hey, well, Hey, what the Cavs should have done is traded Nance for those picks. And, uh, not sign Jetty Osmond to his extension and not sign Kevin Love and not have these bad contracts and just do the plan the right way and have these young players on rookie scale contracts have the cap space to go to sign Lowry Markinen outright and dare the Bulls to match. Uh, and then you have the picks and Markinen. Uh, but at a certain point, uh, all of that is in the past and you're, you have what you have. Um, speaking of having what you have, Colin Sexton uh, was initially the, sort of the centerpiece of this rebuild now there's talk that the Cavs are at least looking into trading him uh doesn't sound like a a trade is close to me maybe maybe you know different um my sense from afar is kind of yeah the Cavs really like Colin Sexton they've always liked Colin Sexton and uh once it comes time to pay him on this contract extension they're not sure how much they like Colin Sexton anymore right and then they look around and say well we could trade him right we like Colin Sexton everybody likes Colin Sexton and 
Uh, they look around and find out the rest of the league might not like Colin Sexton quite as much as they did. Yeah. Uh, is that a, a reasonable way of looking at it? I think it is, but I think it's also an epiphany that the camp of Colin Sexton had throughout the last couple of months too, because in a way they got to gauge the market value of Colin based on what kind of offers were there, how many teams were interested because it was always complicated with Colin. And this is why I always considered a trade a long shot, Dan. And everybody is like, what are you talking about? There's a lot of talk about him being available and stuff like that. It, it always seemed difficult because any team that was going to trade for Colin had to not only give up assets, but then turn around and give him a massive contract. Maybe not the rookie scale max, but some kind of massive contract. Um, and if it wasn't going to happen right away, it was going to be to keep him out of free agency. So Colin Sexton is a good player and the Cavs really like him. But once you have to quantify his value, either with a contract or assets that you're willing to give up or both, <laughs> then it becomes a more complicated conversation, right? It's, then the, flip you side of the, it's the flip side of the Larry Markkinen situation. Yeah, then you start really picking apart the flaws and say, okay, do we really want to invest in an outlier shooting guard, an undersized shooting guard who has defensive problems? who stylistically can be difficult to play with, um, who has to be in the right situation maybe where uh, he can flourish as a quote-unquote winning player as opposed to somebody who is just going to quote-unquote stack and stuff the stat sheet. Um, It just becomes a different kind of conversation. And I think once those conversations were had, I think, teams were more hesitant. And I think on the other side of that, the Cavs do value him highly. They weren't in any rush. They weren't ever just going to give him away just for the sake of giving him away. And I don't think the Cavs, honestly, were ever going to get an offer from a team that was going to blow them away for Colin Sexton. And I think they wanted to be blown away by an offer for Colin Sexton. So I just don't think they were going to get an offer that they were going to say yes to for all of those reasons in saying that, like, I think it was an epiphany for both sides um, based on how the market views Colin that for the first time in quite some time, Dan, I feel like a deal could get done. An extension could be had that will come in under the rookie scale max. Like I had (laughs) been under the belief for a long time that Collins camp was dead set on the rookie scale max. He's represented by the same person who represents Donovan Mitchell, got him the rookie scale max. They're going to throw out all the numbers of Colin Sexton in year three and all these other guys in year three. De'Aaron Fox is another name that they have thrown towards the Cavs. And I thought they were dead set on that and they weren't going to budge and they weren't going to agree to an extension other than that. Now I think there's some wiggle room there. And I, I think it's got to be a hundred million at least for Collins camp. But for the first time, I feel like the number after that first one could be a zero, a one or two or something like that, rather than a five or a six. So I just did a, uh, the mock rookie scale, scale extensions podcast uh, yeah. dunked on with Nate Duncan, Danny LaRue uh, and Danny had the Cavs. Nate was the agent. And uh, Danny offered four years, 72 million. 
uh, as his top offer. Nate turned it down under <laughs> under the idea of look at look how you've talked about uh, right. as as the Cavs, Colin Sexton for years uh, a, a, as this you know excellent player, and now we average twenty four points per game. And how are you going to you know offer so little? And you know I I think Nate was willing to take less than the max. But he also said, like, to a certain degree, like, maybe I just look at it as Max or Bust uh, after everything. And, uh, that you know, the, the Cavs hyped him up, and Colin Sexton's gotten better every single year. Yes. And 24 points per game is, is a sparkling number. You, there are a lot of flaws around that, uh, but you just put that number on there, and it, it, it's sparkling. I'm a little surprised to hear you think uh, there could be an extension, but I, I think this is the problem the Cavs run into with their insistence that, Nobody wants to come to Cleveland. We got to overpay guys. You keep mm-hmm. doing that. You keep doing that. It, it's untenable. You can't do that with everybody. But when you do it for one guy, the next guy wants it, right? right. Uh, I, the one name, if I'm Colin Sexton's agent, that I'm bringing up is Jared Allen. Uh, yeah. Look how much you paid Jared Allen. Uh, you know, wh- wh- why aren't you paying my guy uh, in, in in that range? Uh, you know, you, you extend Jetty Osmond. I mean, just over and over. Uh, mm-hmm players getting more than they're worth it catches up to you you can't you can't operate that way you know it's different when you have lebron james right you have lebron you're already capped out there are no alternatives you can't take a step back you got to win in the moment all the time yeah uh i i guess i i am surprised to hear you think that there's there's room for an an extension um what, what would you say the odds are that there'll be an extension before the uh the deadline this fall can I be really boring and say 50 50? No, that's a good answer. See, I think, see, I, no, no, I think that's a good answer. I, I hate when people sell, like, that's not a strong take. I mean, you could say absolutely yes. Well, we know that's not the right. case. You could say absolutely no, that's not the case. 50 uh, 50, that's, that's telling to say it's a toss up. Uh, that's higher than I expected. Yeah, I, I think it's hard, honestly, because I don't want to say that, um, I don't want to say that there are people inside the organization that don't value Colin because that's not accurate. But I think there are people inside the organization that are trying to value him properly and don't want to get to a point where they're paying a guy as the centerpiece of this rebuild who is not the centerpiece of this rebuild. Mm, Yep. So I think there are people inside the organization because they have that view of Colin and I think it's the right view. I think it's a fair view. Um, I think they want to be patient. And I think they feel like being patient would be beneficial in terms of the value. Um, and there is a name that I've heard thrown around recently in terms of a contract comparison. Um, and it's Jalen Brown. <laughs> I think he got what, like four years, 106 that like moved up to 115 based on certain things. Is that right? Yeah, I was in that range. Something like that. Like the Boston Celtics aren't building around Jalen Brown, right? They're not. They're building around Jason Tatum. I think that's fair to say, right? Sure. But that doesn't mean that the Celtics aren't valuing Jalen. They are valuing him. Yeah, he's and also a do... much better player than Colin Sexton. He is. You're right about that. But was he at the time that he got that deal? Like yes. his archetype was more important. Well, that's part of it. Yeah. His archetype was more important. But had he accomplished as much from a productivity standpoint? Yes. Yes. I think it was both. I mean, I and, and then that's the other thing is he did make that leap after signing the extension. He that's did what I'm get saying. much better. Like his best year came after that. Smart teams... Uh, don't pay players to make his 
I don't know if Jalen Brown's leap was quite historic, but it was sizable, right? Colin Sexton mm-hmm. is on a nice developmental track, a nice track of improvement. And if you continue to project him on that track, I think that's somewhere between where he is and what the track he's currently on. That's where you pay him. The, the jump Jalen Brown made, I think was more substantial. I also think you can get it confused a little bit because I think Jalen Brown was better in his second season than his third. Uh, The the Celtics had a lot of chaos in his third year. And I, I think that affected him. And so I'd say his overall level was something higher than he showed in his third year, uh, maybe lower than he showed in his second year, uh, you know, sample size, all this. And so I, I think that was a more sound bet than betting big on Colin Sexton. In part, it's very clear Jason Tatum is the centerpiece with the Celtics. Sure. Uh, I think Jalen Brown knows that. Yep. I'm less convinced that Colin Sexton knows that he is not the centerpiece. <laughs> I question, one question I have for you. I've talked to Colin Sexton before, and this was you know back when we could do things in person, so that's how much yeah. we're, we're dating this. He views himself as a, at the time, viewed himself as a point guard, was willing to play sort of, I think he called it a combo one role, uh-huh. yep. but very clearly viewed himself as a point guard. Darius Garland views himself as a point guard. Uh, has there been a realization from Colin Sexton that, hey, maybe you're not going to be a point guard? Because, yeah. because I think that would influence extension, right? If he wants to be a point guard, there might be uh-huh. teams that will make him a point guard. And so maybe that would push him toward rejecting an extension, trying to hit a hit restricted free agency. Um, like I, I don't know that that Colin is at a point where he labels himself one way or the other. Like the way that the Cavs have phrased it, everybody close to the Cavs, including one of Colin's developmental coaches, say that he's a basketball player and he can play both, and it doesn't really matter what position because he's going to find enough minutes and Darius is going to find enough minutes and blah, 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 blah. And all that stuff that you have to say, right? Mm-hmm. But but I think how Colin is used and how Darius is used makes it pretty clear. Um, and I think the Cavs... Clear to this, you and me, but clear to Colin? I think I, at this point, he has to recognize that. Okay. I think he's smart enough to understand it. Well, I, I, think, I guess let me phrase it a different way. I'm sure he's smart enough to understand how it's working now. Uh-huh. But does he think, well, I'm just going to get better and I'm going to become the lead ball handler. I'm going to take that role from Darius. I'm going to overcome him. I don't think so. Okay. I don't think Colin sees it that way. Okay. Um, well, that, that's I, good for Cleveland. That, that leaves more options. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I, I, I think he sees himself as a starting shooting guard in the NBA. And that's how he's been playing. Um, I think he's a score first guard who has gotten better as a decision maker and better as a playmaker. If you look at the way that he has progressed from that aspect, um, from his first year to his second year, second year to his third year, the assist numbers are going up. It's a good trajectory to be on. But I think he recognizes that he's not a high usage ball handler, creator, initiator. And what makes him um, the, the best player that he can be is not operating as a quote-unquote traditional point guard. It's going out and getting buckets. Yeah. Um, and he's very good at that, by the way. So we, we've talked to him for a while without getting to maybe. I'd say Evan Mobley uh, can make a claim, but at least what until the draft had been, I'd say, the centerpiece of the rebuild yeah. in Darius Garland. And uh, – I got a question for you about Garland. Okay, ignore uh-huh. ignore salary matching. Both, both players are staying on their same contracts, though. 
who would you rather have for the Cavaliers, Darius Garland or Ben Simmons? And who would you rather have for the 76ers, Darius Garland or Ben Simmons? Are we talking about in the, in the future? Or are we uh, talking about just for this year? I'm saying if you could swap them, their contracts, their age, everything about them, and you don't have to worry for a moment, and we'll, we'll get to the rest of it, you don't have to worry about yeah. salary match. I'm just saying if the NBA allowed yeah. a Ben Simmons for Darius Garland trade right now, would you do it as the Cavs? Would you do yeah. it as the 76ers? Okay. I think the 76ers would do it as part of the package. I would not do it as the Cavs. You would not. I would not, and I like Ben Simmons, and I think the Cavs should absolutely be involved in those conversations. Um, I don't think we can ignore the fact that Ben is, if not the best all-around defender in the NBA, the second best all-around defender in the NBA. Are, are um, you slating uh, – I mean, all-around is a tricky word. Are you slating uh, Rudy Gobert there? Or, no, or, or, I don't or think you, I'm slating, slating anybody. Or you sli- <laughs> well, you said top two, so we got to be slating – at least some of Rudy Gobert or Draymond Green. Is, is it you, a gave me, you gave me a 50-50 answer. You gave me 50% as an answer, and I let it slide. Not only did I let it slide, I defended you. And now now you're coming a little harder with a top two all-around defender, and I got to know who we're sliding. Is, is it Rudy Gobert? Is, is it Kawhi Leonard? Is it Paul Dre? Benson right, is a I mean, good defender. If I have to slight Kawhi Leonard, I guess I, I'm sliding Kawhi Leonard or Paul George because – on my defensive player of the year ballot, I had it Rudy Gobert number one, Ben Simmons number two, and Draymond Green number three. Sorry, ah, Draymond. So we're slaying Draymond. Draymond, I, I guess I'm Draymond, Draymond, Kawhi. Okay, yeah, we got, we got a bunch guys. of slides. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Anthony Davis too. I know he didn't have <laughs> yep. the defensive year last year, but he's a really I'm good defender. Him. I'd have him ahead of Simmons. Yeah, I'm a hater when it okay. comes to that. <laughs> okay. On the record, um, got it. Yeah. And and I'm not I'm not taking anything away from Ben as a passer as well, like. I think he gives a team an identity as a fast-paced, push-the-tempo, um, great passing team, switchy defensive team. And I think all those things are valuable. But he wants to be a point guard. He has said that repeatedly. He sees himself as a point guard. And to me, Darius Garland does more things that you need from a point guard to do to thrive in this era than Ben Simmons does as a point guard. And I think there's plenty of untapped potential still with Darius Garland. And I'm very, very high on him. He got um, one of my third place, I think it was third place. Yeah, it was my third place vote for most improved player. I see Darius every single day. I see him every single game. And I think he has an opportunity to be an all-star point guard. As do I. Ben Simmons is an all-star point guard. Ben Simmons is a very good player. Uh, his flaws become especially pronounced deep in the playoffs. I do think if the 76ers made that swap, I think they'd really miss Ben Simmons' defense. I think they'd really miss his passing. I think they'd really miss his ability to get the team in the open court. Um, the, and when I say passing, especially that transition passing, some things bogged down in the half court, and they'd appreciate yeah. having Darius Garland in the half court. And, you know, there'd be trade-offs, right? As down in, as, sure. as everybody is in Philadelphia – uh, ben Sim- or as down as everybody is in Philadelphia and Ben Simmons, Simmons brings a lot to the table. Yep. Uh, things that Garland doesn't doesn't bring. Um, yep. I don't know. I, I just size defense. You're right. These are two. These are two players that I think I'm higher on than most. Yep. I'm not sure, and this is not a knock on Darius Garland. Mm. I'm not sure he'll ever be as good as Ben Simmons currently is. 
he could become a good player and not quite as good as Ben Simmons, a perennial all-star. Right. I think it's a fair point, but I think fit has to play. If you're making that kind of deal for that kind of player and you're trading away a core piece, which is something that you can say of all the things that the Cavs have done with the roster, they have not broken up this core yet. Now, they still could, but they haven't yet. So if you're trading away a core piece and you're bringing Ben to be here to be like the centerpiece, like there's a specific way that you have to build around Ben Simmons. Would you agree with that? I do. Uh, I I think Mobley can fit that. I think Jared Allen cannot with Mobley. Um, And you get you get one. No, I don't. Maybe Jared Allen just can't, period. Right. But but I think Mobley could. Uh, Okoro probably could not. Yeah. Okoro would need a lot of development, which he could do. Uh, I'm not closing the book on that, but he's not anywhere near fitting now. Mark Nidwood, yes. Yes. You'd have to change a lot of the team. Yes. But sometimes it's worth getting a really good player to and changing a lot of the team. Okay, fair point. Is Ben Simmons the kind of guy that you would change your team for? I don't think he is. See, if I'm the Cavs, it depends on what my starting point is. If I'm the Cavs, maybe. I think it's close. I didn't have a good I asked you because I didn't have a good answer yeah. of who yeah. I'd rather have. I, I could go back and forth. Look, there are guys that I think teams, including the Cavs, should absolutely change their team for and they should move heaven and earth to get. Ben Simmons, to me, is not that kind of guy. To me, I've had a scout talk about this for the last three years because so much of my focus is on long-term, so much of my focus is on the draft. And a scout that I trust said to me one day, like, you have to look at guys different. Some guys, to me, are 82-game players, and some guys, to me are seven-game series players. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, I'm I'm not saying I've decided on this, but I wonder if Ben Simmons is more an 82-game player than he is a seven-game series player. He's 100% more of an 82-game player. There's no question. Uh, The Cavs might like to get to a seven-game series. I mean, even if you lose, at least you you, you you make the playoffs for where they are. To to me, a lot of this is... A lot of this is deciding your organizational goal. Is your goal to make the playoffs? Is your goal to win a championship? And there, you know, it, it, making the playoffs is obviously a step you take along the way the champ, to a championship. Mm-hmm. But you can fast track your way somewhat into the playoffs if you are less concerned about winning a championship. And Ben Simmons is still young; he can improve. I right. haven't closed the book on him becoming a playoff player. This is why he doesn't work in Philadelphia because this is a team around Joel Embiid ready to compete for championships. Yes. Ben Simmons is not, and so that's why I don't think he fits. Do you see a reasonable path to a trade that doesn't involve Darius Garland? Or because now if we're going to bring salary matching into it, get in, mm-hmm. I think the, the first question is, you know, who would you rather have? Uh, and I think Simmons and Garland could work well together. And I think maybe, maybe, maybe with a change of scenery, Ben Simmons would be willing to uh, take a change of position, uh, you know, coming in fresh somewhere. Maybe I think possibly you could talk him into that possibly. And so you could have Garland as a point guard. Garland, look, he's not the most advanced passer. They could complement each other in a lot of ways. Garland, Garland uh, is fine. I think he's fine. a really good passer. I think you're going to see it more when he's Yeah, I think you're going to see it more when he's surrounded by guys who can actually make shots. Maybe. I mean, he, he's young, too. I, I look at him as definitely a good enough passer, right? He's, a, he's like a modern point guard. He, he scores a lot. And yeah. so you have to have some passing ability or else you're Colin Sexton. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think Garland has, has more than enough, but I don't look at him as one of the top passers in the league. 
like Simmons can be especially in transition. So I think there are ways they could work together and complement mm-hmm. each other and be very nice. Um, I don't know. You could also remake your team around Simmons. I, I think Kevin Love has a substantially negative value contract. He right. could be used for salary matching, right? Maybe right. maybe you'd rather have uh, Simmons than Garland and Love, counting Garland mm-hmm. as a positive, Love as a negative. Uh, I think Kevin Love could maybe help the 76ers a little bit in a small role. Overpaid, yes, but helpful off their bench uh, as a different type of, of player complement to Joel Embiid. I think that's possible. Or, do you, I guess more so, do you think there's a chance the other way, where the 76ers trade Ben Simmons to the Cavaliers without getting back Darius Garland? Mm-hmm. Is there some package that you see as at all realistic, uh, probably involving Sexton, whoever else, uh, where where you think Philly might go for it and Cleveland. Yeah. I'll put it this way. If the Sixers get the asking price that they've placed on Ben Simmons or <laughs> something close to that, let's, let's say or something close to that, um, the Cavs would not be at the top of that list of matches. Dan, I think the Cavs are absolutely interested Um I think they're wondering deep down, how do we accomplish it though? Because it's complicated with Ben. It's complicated with Philly because oftentimes you have these disgruntled stars that they want out and then the team goes into rebuild mode. So what they're Mm -hmm. looking for is a hall of draft picks and young players. (laughs) Well, if that were the case, the Cavs would fit that. Uh-huh. They have all their first round picks into the future. They've got a couple of extra second round picks. They're both very valuable because one's coming from San Antonio. One's coming from Houston and they have a good young core of players and some young players that I think would absolutely interest um, teams around the NBA in that kind of trade package. Um, in saying that, I don't think, well, I think the Cavs have one guy who is, close to untouchable i think kobe altman would hang up on people if they asked for evan mobley at this point in time but it's like they don't have lebron they don't have luca they don't have um jason tatum they don't have trey young so they don't have like those off the table guys completely so that gives them a little bit of flexibility of guys that they would include in that kind of package but philly doesn't want that kind of package philly's trying to win now philly wants somebody who is close to an all-star that's going to help them win games and chase a championship in this window that they have, or they want either a young player or a prime asset that can be used as a vehicle to get that win-now player. And I don't know that the Cavs fit that. Obviously, you could bring in the third team. That would make some sense to fill in those gaps. But it's just hard for me to see the Cavs coming up with a package that would get Philadelphia to say yes, that would also allow Philadelphia to compete for a championship this year. Yeah, it really is so inverted, where where the Cavs on the longer timeline would be getting the better player, and the 76ers uh, would be trading the better player while trying to to win now. It it does make it tough. Uh, The last player I wanted to talk to you about was, uh, I think, the last player the Cavaliers should be considering when they're building out this roster, which is Kevin Love. Uh, I, I think he's just an impediment. Uh, his, his contract, it's, yeah. I think you just have to work your way around it. I'm not, 
you know, waving and stretching them or anything, right? It's not right. urgent. It's just you got to eat this cost. But I wonder one thing. Why doesn't he take a buyout? And I, look, at, I get the idea. I get the idea. It's his money. He signed it. He's entitled yeah. to it. I don't begrudge him one bit. Not one bit. But I also look at Kevin Love as someone who appears deeply unhappy in Cleveland, who talks openly about wanting to be somewhere else, who has made so much money during his career. Uh, we see you know, some bigger buyouts now. Kemba Walker, Blake Griffin, guys give up money to go where they want. And if I look at just on paper, a player who is primed to, be, to give up some money to be somewhere else and be happier, uh, who it makes on paper all the sense in the world for, why is he so reluctant to take a buyout? Okay, so I have what I have heard to be the case, and I have my own theory on this. The one thing that I've heard, and I've heard this from multiple players, <laughs> the, the only player that may like money more than Kevin Love <laughs> in the NBA is Tristan Thompson. <laughs> one of the players joked about that with me the other day. Um, but I mean, like, it's a huge contract, and I just don't know... So the situation between Kevin Love and Kemba Walker is very, very different because I think with Kemba, he knew that he could give away money and he could get a contract that was more than the minimum. Yeah. For Kevin, it's not that way. Right. If he gives back money, he is going to have to be a minimum player for the rest of his career, however long that is. Yeah. So Blake Griffin is probably the better comp. Yeah, probably. And if you think about Blake from that standpoint, um... I think one Detroit and, and Cleveland were in a different kind of situation. Like the Cavs aren't interested in a buyout either, unless Kevin gives back a significant chunk of money. I think part of it has to do with the fact that the Cavs rightly or wrongly feel like he can emphasis on can still be a positive influence on the young guys oh when boy. he's not throwing temper tantrums. Like Darius Garland loves him, loves him. He unprompted calls him Hall of Famer Kevin Love constantly. <laughs> and he can still provide three-point shooting and floor spacing in small doses. So I don't think they feel like it's gotten to a toxic point or he's a detriment on anything that they want to accomplish in the future. Um, so that's part of it. The other part of it is like if they bought him out, then the decision has been made and they can't do anything with him. Right now, theoretically, he could still be used as salary aggregation. Yeah. And they don't have a really big number on this roster. Like if they were trying to get involved in the Ben Simmons deal, like one of the routes is obviously attaching Kevin and his big salary to make the salaries match. They can't trade... Um, marketing until December. They can't aggregate Rubio's salary until I can't remember the date on that because I'm not a CBA guy like that. But it's not right now. They can't aggregate his salary. I think it's coming up quick. It uh, might be end of this month, right? Maybe. Well, so everything possibly. everything's weird this year because they're still on a system calendar. Yeah. Uh, from from the pandemic, where the normal amount of time it would be, uh, it's shorter. Yeah. So I, everything is weird, but it. So it's at the very least, Kevin Love is a route to taking back a higher salary player. Yeah. Um, beyond that, <laughs> they know this. If they're going to be stuck with each other, the Cavs know that they only have to be stuck with each other for one more year. And, and Kevin's only trade value will come with his contract being expiring 
next year. That gives him some semblance of trade value, which is absolutely nothing. It's right neutral. Now. He becomes neutral instead yes, of toxic. Yes, there you go. Instead of being a negative asset. Um, but my theory on this is that even though the idea of Kevin going to a contender and being happier and competing, it's logical but I don't know that it matches the reality of what he feels like at this point he can give a team. And I think if he were to be bought out and then sign with Brooklyn or sign with Los Angeles or sign with Portland or whatever, the way that he would be viewed, there would be pressure attached to that. Hmm. A lot of pressure attached to that. And I'm not convinced he feels like he can match that pressure. The skill set that he has right now, the way that he can play right now, I think that would be too much pressure on him. And I don't think he would ever live up to that at this stage of his career. So I don't know that it is for sure that he wants out and he wants that situation. Is that a post-Olympics theory? Because him going you know, to play for Team USA... Uh, I, I think would not invalidate your theory, but I think it'd be uh, evidence against your theory. Uh, but his experience with Team USA, uh, if you're saying this even more so after, uh, would definitely lead into it for sure. I think it's something that people close to Kevin internally wondered about as he was recovering from his calf injury. And I do think the Olympics and the way everything went down with that, I do think that was eye-opening. Because that was the first time that it wasn't the Cavs. That was the first time that it wasn't his teammates stink. That wasn't the first time that it wasn't, that was the first time that it wasn't like, oh, well, his coach is out of his mind and he doesn't know what he's doing. Like that was Kevin. Kevin like couldn't hack it at the Olympics on his own merits. And I think that's eye-opening. It's and tough. he was even asked, he was even asked, like, during that time, um, by somebody on a Zoom call, like, how he views himself. And he even said, like, I can't be the same guy that I was. That's a no-duh comment. Obviously, we all know that. But for him to have that admission that he can't be the high-minute, high-production, high-usage player, I thought that was pretty interesting. Because it was the first time I heard him say that. Yeah. It's tough. I mean, he, you know, he had those injuries. I think that sapped him of some of his athleticism. Yep. He got older at the same time. Both those things coming together, it's tough to maintain this production. Um, not all of this happened before the contract extension, but mm-hmm. some of it did. And, uh, you know, that's uh, one of the reasons the, the Cavs are where they are, wherever they are. Um, but I, I, I've enjoyed talking to you about the team situation. I, I've learned a lot. Uh, I recommend everybody follow Chris on Twitter at Chris Fedor. Read him at cleveland.com. He is uh, one of the, if not the most plugged in beat reporters in the country. Uh, Chris, thanks for coming on. You got it, Dan. Anytime, man. I enjoyed it. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. 
Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.